So here is what happened is a proud member of the But Why Though podcast community. Hey guys, welcome to a bonus episode of So Here's What Happened. I'm your host, Nisha, and I'm joined by... Carolyn. And, and Xavier. Oh, yeah. my bad. That's <laughs> no, okay. It's all good. We're excited to have you here. <laughs> Glad to be on. Thank you all for having me on this. Of course, of course. Um, Carolyn, if you want to, because you, you and Carolyn, I've, y'all have talked before, so if you want to introduce our guest, and I mean, you kind of did it yourself, but just tell people who you are. Um, so everyone, thank you again for joining us. And for this special episode of So Here's What Happened, we have director and writer Xavier Bergen. So for those of you who are familiar with the podcast, you know that I recently did um, an interview with Tanana Revdu and Ashley Blackwell about the, the documentary Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror in Film. And Xavier is the director for that documentary. And we thought it would be interesting and actually timely to have him be a guest on the podcast because we're talking about us, the new film by Jordan Peele, you know, that <coughs> horror that bends your mind and creeps you out, uh, creep me out anyway. And so I'm going to let Xavier tell you a little bit more about himself and then we'll get into the discussion about the film. <clears throat> hey, yeah. So, of course, you know, thank you all again for having me on. You know, name's X. Um, specifically, <clears throat> with the director of, you know, Horror a History of Black Horror. I've also been having, I've done work on Giants, a digital series that uh, allowed me to get Emmy nominated, That was ama- which was amazing. I've had my work on HBO. I did the Sundance Labs, uh, Ryan Murphy's directing program. And yeah, I've just, and I'm, uh, you know, I did my time at the USC School of Cinematic Arts, finished up with that in, uh, at the end of uh, 2015 and just been out here just, you know, freelance, working, writing, and doing whatever I can to pay the bills. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Busy guy. <laughs> Got a hustle and grain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get it. Um, we well, yeah, thank you again for joining us. I'm excited. I'm like, and also congratulations on horror noir. That's I, 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 as a horror fan, I love it. And then also as a black horror fan, I really, really love it. So oh, y'all did, y'all did it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's, it's been amazing how much love we've been getting from it. And I think the nicest thing is been see, like, of course it's great to get, you know, love from a bunch of critics, but it's really great to see like the black community and black mm-hmm. critics really like, you know, loving this thing because one of the big things for me was like, the black folks ain't feeling it, then I've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. Andrew. Well, you did, you definitely did everything right. I think y'all have done a terrific job and I, I've, I've enjoyed, cause I get to edit um, Carolyn's interview. So I've been enjoying like hearing the stuff and everything from, before everyone else does. Right, right, right. Well, hey, that's good. That's good to know. Well, Carolyn, you did a great job on the, uh, on the uh, NPR thing. So I was really happy with that, man. I'm definitely going to be hitting you up more often to do stuff. <laughs> Thank you. For sure. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun talking to you. Like, this is one of the reasons we started the podcast, because mm-hmm. like we started to talk about films and Infinity War. But um, but we, t- we started it because we wanted to, like, get the perspective of, like, creatives and writers in the film industry, but especially Black creatives, because, mm-hmm. like, there aren't that many outlets who focus mainly on... Um, but there's a lots of podcasts for sure, but there aren't that many that 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 make sure to focus on projects by Black people and people of color, and that's one of the mm-hmm. things that we wanted to do with the podcast. So again, thank you so much for for speaking with me for both NPR and also for doing this with us tonight because I think it's actually fitting that us is one of the first is one of our first film things for the year, actually. Oh, that's true. 
Well, with that, let's go ahead and segue into the discussion. I'll quickly do a synopsis of the summary for people who have not seen it. And just let y'all know, this is spoiler filled. We are not holding anything back. So listen at your own risk. I'm not putting time codes in. That's too much work. It's your own fault. But still enjoy the conversation. Um, So the synopsis goes, accompanied by her husband, son, and daughter, Adelaide Wilson returns to the beachfront home where she grew up as a child, hunted by a traumatic experience from the past. Adelaide grows increasingly concerned that something bad is going to happen. Her worst fears soon become a reality when four masked strangers descend upon the house, forcing the Wilsons into a fight for survival. When the masks come off, the family is horrified to learn that each attacker takes the appearance of one of them. And of course, the stars Lupita Nyong'o, Winston Duke, Elizabeth Moss. I'm not going to read all the other people's names. And it's directed by Jordan. Y'all, it's been, this has been the longest month, and it's only Thursday. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I kid. No, I, we, will be, we will be putting those names down there. I just figured I'd read, like, the big names. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so where should we start first? Um, um, okay, so let's start with our overall impressions of the film, and then we'll get into all the spoilers and like our theories and our and ideas that we have because I have lots of theories and ideas about this film. So, Xavier, you can, as I guess, you can go first. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the most important thing to me um, mm-hmm. watching this was just the fact that like it was a whole black family, you know, in mm-hmm. uh, a horror sci-fi, which. Again, I think about maybe like the people under the stairs or, you know, it's just it's it's not something I see. It's not something you see in those genres on a regular basis. So, mm-hmm. you know, that really made me happy and it made me like very intent to check this out. And one of the other things I liked is that I enjoyed is that it's very obvious for me as Joe, Jordan Peele as a filmmaker is that, you know, we classify stuff as horror. But it, uh, more often than not, it can it feels like a critique. Mm-hmm. Um, but also he does a lot of comedy in his person to his work. And, you know, it makes sense because, you know, he did all stuff from Kane Peel to mm-hmm. Mad TV back in the day. So as I was watching us, one thing I noticed is even at the points where I was scared, there was just a lot of points to where I was just laughing as yeah. well. So, you know, I really enjoyed the fact that he was kind of doing something that is a little different because on a regular basis, yeah. usually they, they don't. They don't usually you don't expect to see horror and comedy kind of blended in that type of way. And I think us just did a really good job of that. Mm. That's a great point, because I I will say, like, I was not expecting to laugh as much as I did when I went to go see us, especially from Winston Duke. Like, Mm -hmm. like I I, I was telling Carolyn on like before, like he really is like the corny black dad. In a crisis, yes. in the crisis, and I'm just like, he did a fantastic job as it. But I, I enjoyed that he's like the comedic relief, and Lupita is truly like the one who's handling a lot of the business. Yeah, and she like the, she yeah. the film relies on her a lot actually. Mm, yeah, which I mean, we know why. <laughs> we can get into it. Um, what about you, Carolyn? What uh, what stood up to you? Um, for me, the main thing that really stood out to me, apart from the, the humor, is I, for me, the performances, because 
this is I because I'm I love horror, but I've always like when horror that focuses that has children has always been like my one of my Achilles heels when it comes to horror because I find children terrifying in film. I work with kids, so like I've had kids tell me the creepiest things, and it's like, uh, why is this four year old telling me that I taste that I look like I taste delicious? Um, <laughs> I've had that happen. Like one of my kids at school, she looked me dead in the eye, no expression. She like, you look like you taste delicious. I'm like, um. Thank you. Ah, back away. But Man, like, you gotta kids, fight that kid. <laughs> some of these kids, the things that come out their mouths like t- truly like concern mm-hmm. me. But um, but for kids, like that's one of the things that always like freaks me out in horror films. If it's done really well, like that's the thing that can really get under my skin. So like for the the, the two girls, like they really stood out to me. Like Lupita, of course, and Winston did an amazing job. But the two girls, the way how Jordan directed them and the way how they interpreted the characters is what really is what really caught my attention for the film, especially mm. um, <laughs> Margaret, um, especially for the little girl that, that plays um, young Adelaide and young Red. There's a scene, like I was telling in, 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 um, in another episode we did for the podcast, there's when they, when it's the, I think it's the second time we see her in, I call, I'm calling it um, Wonderland, because to me it reminds me of Alice in Wonderland. And when mm-hmm. she's in Wonderland and she's looking at the mirror and like she turns around and there's a scene just before the edit switches scenes, she gets this Cheshire cat, this Cheshire cat grin that creeped me all the way on it. Everything, every time I think about it, like the hair on my arms like raise every time I think about it. Cause like that crap, I was like, give me the mm. knives and the scissors. Like she terrified me. That yeah. Mm. She bothers me. She unsettles me. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Um for me, I would say like it I like how thought provoking it is. Because definitely I agree with y'all about like the humor and then the performances just because like the dual performances of everybody is amazing. Yeah. But um, for me, I like how thought provoking it was for so many people. Like, and then I liked how Duran Peel just like put out that tweet and he's just like, it's a horror movie <laughs> to remind people that like his whole stance on like it, this movie wasn't Get Out part two and it wasn't like it it wasn't about race and it was a horror movie but still we're all able to like you know interpret different things from the movie and have diff- all these different theories and thoughts about it so I just like how thought-provoking it is and everybody seems like Carolyn you have your theory about the wonder the wonderland theory and I, and I really like that one mm. yeah. yeah um so okay so for Xavier for you because um when you did um, Horror Noir, like Jordan Peele was one of the um, the guests you had um, featured inside um, in the film, right? And he talked, of course, about Get Out. And the thing is, like, what do you think actually? There's a lot, there's similarities, of course, I think between both films, but um, there's also vast differences. And the fact that he had to say it's horror, but to me, like, because people because some people think horror can't be funny, I actually think things that actually make you laugh for, for various reasons actually is hard because it's like you laugh on like because you're in an uncomfortable situation like for you like as a as a director and someone who spoke to him personally about the film and the process like what was it that stood out to you that was a the, the biggest difference between the, the two films <clears throat> well I think when I think uh after going back and having that interview and you know, one of the dopest things, uh, one of the dopest things about it just overall was the fact that I still think it's obvious that Jordan is still the guy that's kind of like adjusting to what it means to be in, to be known as this new, amazing, like auteur director that everybody's mm-hmm. looking out, you know, for his stuff. And he's still kind of taking that in of what it means to be 
on that type of level with, you know, two films in. So, you know, that was just pretty amazing to hear someone who was still humble um, and was just understanding the impact that he made. And, yeah. you know, going back into because, you know, when we were actually doing the uh, the interview, like he didn't really he didn't talk about us. And uh, when he was having the interviews and stuff like that, and, you know, he spoke more on Get Out because, you know, for him, Get Out was dealing in a race-based horror, but also his big thing that he really made very prominent was two things that, like, there was no good white people in this film, which, you know, was very Mm. true with Get Out. And then also Mm. the fact that he was making something that was first and foremost for black folks. Like, he made it very clear, you know, if black folks like this, then, you know, I've done my job right so when I think mm. about those two things specifically, when I think about us, um, there there were good white people, you know, quote unquote, in there, you know, with the other family they were dealing with. And then also the thing, too, is I think even though this film definitely has a lot of stuff for black folks, again, dealing with an amazing black family, like, you know, having mm-hmm. them be the leads and, you know, getting to see them fight back and forth. I think, you know, this us specifically was more of him going into horror and it wasn't necessarily completely 100% for black folks, but I still think he had us in mind. And I really yeah. think maybe that's probably like the biggest difference that I can see where, whereas we get out, I really think he was very focused on the black experience and what it meant to us. Whereas us, whereas us was more about, <laughs> was, was more about tackling other things that didn't necessarily have to, be something that all black people would really like get a love or something mm-hmm. to that degree. Does that make sense? No, it does yeah. for sure. Because like the parts where Lupita is like clinging, I'm sorry, Adelaide, as we knew her then is clinging to the children and telling them to get her, their shoes on. I was like, Oh, that's my mama. Oh yeah. <laughs> or like, or like your dad, like putting on, I got five on it in the car ride. And I was just like waiting for Winston Duke to say something like, what y'all know about this? I was was waiting for him to say, but it's like, like that stuff, like I can take snapshots and think of like, man, that looks like my family. Like that looks like things like my family would do together, like go on trips and like daddy playing his old school music (laughs) and we just in the back chilling. Um, But like, I, I agree. It's just like, it's nice to just see like this black family, like just be centered, like be the center of the story. Mm-hmm. And and then not being like a not being the sidekicks like they truly it's truly just centered around they're in a horror movie and it's centered around them right and I, you know I, I liked that a lot a lot about it yeah you know something I have to say and it's weird I don't know why but when I watched the movie like when I, when I remember uh, Winston and Lupita in Black Panther you know mm-hmm. I knew them as their characters it's, um, mm-hmm. especially yeah. Winston where it's like okay that's Mbaku that's that's him but. In this movie, for some reason, it just felt like, oh, that's Lupita and that's Winston versus mm. like, you know, I always, you know, I know that I know what the real the names are in the movie. But as I was watching, like, oh, man, Lupita, oh, she gets out of this. Oh, Winston's mm-hmm. OK. Like, I don't know why. It, <laughs> and maybe that's because I kind of identified with them so much. Like, it was so funny. My girlfriend was with me when I was watching it. And she was like and she literally was like she wrote her. I was like, oh, my God, Winston, you know acts just like you. I'm sick of this. And I was like, come on, don't be like that. But <laughs> it, it, re- it identified to the point where I was like, I was just calling by their names. I was like, Winston, please be okay. <laughs> but no, that's yeah. true. Because like, I don't know how many times I will mess up and I'll say like when little Lapita was in the, was in the house of mirrors, like, cause I, I do just think of them as like themselves in it. Cause I'm just like, oh no, not no little Lapita, don't do that. But it's funny that you that you two of you have that. But I actually had a, 
and I'm not sure if anyone else actually has this, I wouldn't call it a problem because for me, I wasn't thinking of them as Lupita and Winston or anything like that. I was actually mm-hmm. thinking of Adelaide as red. And I mean, I swear, swear to God, from the beginning of the film, I kept, I, I wasn't calling her Adelaide. And then when we found out about red, I mean, I was actually calling who we know as red, Adelaide and mm. Adelaide, which is the one in the white outfit, red. And I've been thinking of her that way the whole time. Like every time I'm mentioning, I have to like consciously correct myself. Oh, wait, this character that Lupita's portraying is this this version is Adelaide, that other version is red in the like IMDB notes. And I have to keep reminding myself, these two are and I'm what and I'm thinking it's because I don't know, because to me it's in in my mind, the, the two characters are so distinct. And like the idea that both like, like this is where we're gonna start getting the spoilers, where we where we found out that who we know as Adelaide is actually from the from Wonderland or on the underworld. I'm like from the same I'm like, but then that means she's actually red and she's not really Adelaide. And that's all I've been mm. thinking about them the whole time. That's true. Now that I've seen it, it is kind of hard to like when I like even when I say like when I try to talk about Adelaide when she was holding her kids, it's actually red. Now now that we know the twist. Yeah. Okay. I see I what will. you're saying. I will add that, you know, personally, and I don't know how it is for anyone else, but just me being a filmmaker, um, Mm -hmm. the twist that, you know, the hit that we, where they got replaced and stuff, that was something that literally at the beginning of the movie, I kind of called and I was like, okay, this this, this is probably going to be the twist. If if anything, Mm -hmm. I was maybe expecting for it not, I was kind of hoping it wouldn't be a twist because that to me would have been more surprising than the twist that, uh, did happen, so that was it. That was an interesting thing as mm-hmm. as um, as I was watching it, because I was wondering, because I definitely was wondering, like, okay, um, which character I feel like is going to end up being Adelaide, where we're going to find the twist out. But I was thinking yeah. maybe it might be another character instead. You never know, but yeah, yeah, that's just something that that really pops in my head. And I think that was just because of the fact that as a filmmaker, I'm always thinking about how can a story surprise me as a mm-hmm. filmmaker. Versus, like you know, just a, a, a quote unquote ordinary audience. Yeah, I, I kind of saw the twist coming because, like, I told Anisha, um, to me, mm-hmm. I saw the twist coming when she, like, I was convinced at that point when they were in the the therapist's office and she's yep. like playing with the the sandbox and she has the little toy animals lined up and like is creating their own shadows. But the part that had me was when the mom was like, "I want my daughter back." She's like, "That's mm-hmm. not my daughter." And I'm like, that is not her daughter. I am like, yes, that is not Adelaide. Yeah. That's the girl from the underworld. And that's when I was like, and then like this little girl, Madison, as I said, she creeped me out. The way she was just staring at Pan, I'm like, that's not trauma. Like that's that's like she's looking at me like mm-hmm. she like she want to hurt you. Like, so I'm like, yeah, that's not the real Adelaide. Like something happened down there. Mm-hmm. Some bad. <laughs> I will say happened. for me, like I had the same feelings. Like it was, it was well before we saw the reveal. Like I think it was, what was it that made me? Oh, it wasn't even, it wasn't Lapita's scenes that triggered me to think it at first. It was um, Shahidi, um, the daughter. What is the daughter's name? Uh, she's um, Zora. Zora, yeah. So when Zora was killing the twin, right? Like one of the mm-hmm. like the the tethered twins. It's yeah. the sound she made, and I'm like, hold on. Why does she sound like one of them? Like, why does she sound like one of the tethered? And then that mm-hmm. made me think, like, oh, is her mama tethered? I'm like, and then I like started thinking about it. And then we see the scene where Adelaide, quote unquote, kills the other twin tethered, and she makes mm-hmm. those sounds. And she like 
it, it just it was her facial expressions it was a split second and the sun saw her and they had that look and that's what trick that's what like trick like turned the switch on in my mind i'm like oh snap that's the, that's not even the real one and that like i thought that was really impressive like how they kind of left they left breadcrumbs some of them were bigger than other ones mm-hmm. i definitely feel you carolyn about like the mom saying i want my daughter back that was like a, just a really big foreshadowing i felt yeah. like like now that w- once the movie kept progressing but once we did find out the twist i've just been question questioning the whole time is like like who do who do we root for and then That's like the thing, yeah. i question all of her i question all of her actions like does she really care about her family or is she just feel, is it more safety in numbers like i question everything that red did now so that's, yeah, I that's, think that's, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Anthony. Oh no, no, no. Please, you go ahead. It's all fine. Uh, uh, no, what? Because it's funny you say that. Because um, in the show notes that I'm making for the uh, for the blog post today, like that's one of the things that really stood out to me. Because with this film, the thing, the difference between this and a lot of like horror films, or just like other like genres and thing, you you know who the villain is. Like mm-hmm. you have a clear understanding. <laughs> of who the bad guy is, you understand why their motivations are wrong, you know who the hero is, you know why the hero's motivations are right uh, from a moral standpoint. And I made a comparison between this and Shoplifters, which I, um, and Shoplifters. And even though they're two completely different films, it kind of like stood out to me because it discusses like the whole found family concept in a way, but it also makes you question, okay, when something traumatic happens in a child's past, like how do you... Like it makes you almost like be like, I can understand why she's doing this. Like for Red, mm-hmm. she did the whole hands across America and it's a revenge plot, right? And that whole thing, that whole thing is like revenge. And she, cause she wants her life back and she wants to get back at Adelaide Red for mm-hmm. what was taken from her. But you also understand Adelaide's point of view as when she was a young child, when she was the young, the fettered version, she was like, I don't want to be here. I, I deserve to have a happy life with a family or whatever. And it's like, you can see both sides of the, the coin. And it's like, and I thought it was so interesting. And I'm like, this is, I, this is why I love these kind of films because it makes you look at things from a completely different perspective. And I think that's the beauty of this film because mm-hmm. it's literally like the, 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 like the concept of the film itself is that you have this shadow and the light. And then, like with the way how you analyze things, it makes you like question like two sides of every of of every situation, every situation scenario that occurs within the film, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, that I appreciated with it is in the grand scheme of it, like looking back on the film, is I didn't feel like there were any true bad guys. Like mm-hmm. you know, fine, you could you could say one person is a protagonist and one person one. But these other folks are antagonists, but the idea that there was a hero and that there were bad guys going against them wasn't necessarily true. And I, and that really stuck out to me just because as I watched the film, uh, the biggest critique that really c- came to my mind was like, you know, a privileged critique or a class critique mm-hmm. of yeah. like different, the difference between the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. Um, that's yeah. the, the yeah. biggest critique that I felt about it. So you know, for me, when I see these tethers and they're coming out and they're trying to take over, it's not even necessarily taking over, but just saying like, you know, we've been giving so little for so long. We just want a piece of what you've taken for exactly. granted on such yep. a large level. So when I thought about it in that way, and especially when you think about like Red and how she had a small taste of that as a child, lost everything, and now she's coming back to prove a point, it just, it, it no longer felt like these were bad people quote unquote when you mm-hmm. kind of dig deeper into it 
Exactly. It's, it's definitely perspective. Like when you look from each, it, you, you look at each character's motives from their situations. I feel the same way. I was like, which one do I feel bad for? Because I mean, like I, I, I respect both <laughs> of their actions because I'm like, yeah, you want to be free and have a life. But but and then you wanted revenge and get your life back. Like how how do you choose but, between those two? Is they're basically in the same situation, but then but then Xavier, you also have you to said, kind of the methods with which they both went about achieving their yeah. goal, right? Because both of them ended up mm-hmm. using violence. Because oh, yeah. um, I read when she was well, you see, I keep calling her Red in my head, which is Adelie. When she was a child, she used violence, right, to achieve her mm-hmm. goal of of achieving the 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 life above. And Adelaide, because in my mind, she is Adelaide. She. Mm-hmm. thinking she had no other alternative turn to violence which is like killing the people of the sisters and it like it's then it's like the whole thing of like does the end justify the means right and it's like no because like you have a whole bunch of people who had no idea what was going on mm-hmm. because they're the only two who really knew about the two worlds right and everyone yeah. else is basically the collateral damage for for their for their revenge plot oh that just occurred to me actually hmm that's true. And then like what you said, though, like the thing about Adelaide, the real Adelaide is she was a child. So her like her whole worldview is so limited from just that, like being a child and growing up in the environment that she did, like from going from a loving family or what we assume is loving because it looked like the parents had some issues. But yeah. like, get, but, like going down and then being there with the other tethered who no one is communicating with her. She's been through something traumatic and she's basically, I guess, lost, even though her tethered parents are there. It's like, I imagine like her, her worldview, like her morality and everything is like shaped from that environment. So exactly. that's, that that's also something to consider. Whereas like red, the, the, the real red is actually like, she grows, she gets to grow up in a loving family with support and with all these means. Um, but to a quick point, I want to add to what Xavier said about, like, um, classism or, like, th- that whole thing. It gave me, like, themes of from the time, the time machine, like the Morlocks living underneath society. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> It just mirrored, it kind of mirrored that for me because, like, we know the whole thing is that, like, with the Morlocks, they were, like, I believe how the story goes. I haven't read this book forever, but I was, I remember, like, how they kept the status quo is that somebody from above would be sacrificed down for down below. So it's like, once they got a taste, now it's become like, oh, we got a taste. Now we're coming back for all y'all and we want everything. So I, I think that's like, for me, that's what I kind of like, me, I saw it as. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I completely uh get what you're saying on that. And I think uh, you know, one of the other things that really popped in um for me as I watched it was the fact that just like, you know, by, by the time you got through everything, what I thought was really interesting is when you look at all of the other tethers and how mm. it felt like while, you know, of course they all had their own thoughts or stuff they wanted to deal with. It was for me, it felt very obvious that red was the specific one that was kind of leading everything and pushing yes. everything forward. And that the rest of the tethered were more of her, uh, there were more lackeys in a way. Yeah. Um, just because it felt like she was the one that was pulling all of the strings and she was also the one that finally gave them a semblance of autonomy to be mm-hmm. able to to go out and do these type of things in the first place. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. She finally, she definitely gives them like not identity, but she, I think she gives them a purpose because like for them before she came along, they were, their whole purpose was to wander aimlessly around the halls. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, they had no purpose, but to, 
and everything they did was almost against their wills because they only ate when their doubles ate and they only slept mm-hmm. when their doubles slept and they did whatever they did, but it was like, a, like literally like a shadow of it because they didn't eat the same food. Their clothes were tattered. Um, like everything they did was kind of like forceful, but she gave them their freedom. But then like, um, for me, the whole thing with the, the word that where her plan falls apart is like, there's no end goal to her plan. Because she's yeah. she she's thinking with the limited knowledge that she gained as a child and from things that she saw literally saw on TV <laughs> that influenced her way of thinking. Like she it also hampers them too because like without her, like what is the next step for them? What do they do? What is their end goal, right? And like how does she communicate their plans? Like she drew their plans for them, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't communicate with each other. And I think that's the 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 and the thing with um <laughs> Just the same issue, like the way how she communicates with them is the is almost kind of reflected with Adelaide too, because there's a very and it, it really stood out to me the line where Adelaide is on the beach and she's talking with let me look up um, her name, um, mm-hmm. Kitty, which is Elizabeth Moss' character, where Kitty's talking to her and she's like she's saying, "Oh, I don't really," she like she has problems with conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And that shows that there's some things that are just inherent in you because no matter how long she was up there and she, no matter how long she adapted to the to the to the upper world there's some things that she still struggled with right and that was like communicating and I think it would have been interesting to see her like if we had maybe gotten like a flashback or like a little scene with her like if she worked like how she interacted with the people at work did she work or was she like a stay-at-home mom or anything like that right mm-hmm. so that's the only thing I would have liked a bit more of to see like the differences between how she interacted with her family and others but I guess that that probably would have been like a which have a giveaway for like for, for the that would have given a bit of way like how like seeing her and her husband meet or something like that like that probably would have like been a cue uh, you know clue to that but like what y'all are saying about red yes I'm, I'm talking about the real red I feel like I have to say real <laughs> <laughs> when like the real red I kind of felt the same way like there was something different about her because my we can kind of get into theories here like I feel like this is like free conversation so we're all over it's fine um but like for me, I felt like there was something special about the real red specifically because I can't remember because I want to go watch this movie for a third time now. And I want to know, like, who what made young Adelaide turn around and go into the House of Mirrors, like go there specifically. And I think because I think she's like red. It's like Adelaide, the real one is saying, like, you called to me. Mm-hmm. And that, but we're thinking she's talking about Adelaide, like y'all know what I'm talking about. We think she's talking about her doppelganger, who we think is Adelaide. Then, so yeah. that makes me think Red, like there was something in her. We know they don't have souls or whatever, like they don't have their own identity identities. But it was something about Red that she had the ability to no longer be a shadow. That she took the initiative to become a person. And she called mm. her and she made her walk there. She guided her there because it's that look she gives when she turns around. Like, yeah, girl, the real red. Creeps me out. Oh, yeah. That, that creepy that, little that smile. Mm. <laughs> and then like, it's just like sinister. And then she goes and then she like, that's when she goes and takes her place. So it makes me think like she planned all that out. And again, I assume they're both there six at this time. And she knew what she was going to do. And she called her there. So that's like something that I've always thought is like, is there's just something up, there's something special about Red. And, and was that it? That she did, was something that switched in her brain that told her she deserved more or she could take more. Mm. <clears throat> well, well, for uh, me, oh, sorry. 
Please go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, well, for me, like the thing that I that I was I was I've been thinking about it all is like it's like how twins kind of sense um things <laughs> about each other. Like I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm a fraternal twin, so I'm not identical. But um, like when my sister and I were young, she was a really badass man, and I would sometimes know when something was wrong, right? And it's like, you're, she's nowhere near me, but I'd be like, mm. I like, something feels wrong. Like we still, I still get it. Like sometimes we'll, we'll sing a song at the same time, sing from like the exact same place in the song. We'll <laughs> like say, we'll like call each other at the same, we'll like, one of us will like end up calling each other the same time we were thinking about calling each other. We, you know, like that whole, and it's kind of like reflected with the twin girls with Kitty's daughters where like they're doing the twinny thing like where you talk at the same time and it's like jinx jinx double jinx and like that's kind of how I saw it because I to me I was like oh wait so it's kind of like a twin connection right but theirs was just more but the fact that they were able to like reach across the two realms kind of like theirs was stronger mm. that's a good point yeah, I think something interesting that I think about, too, with the film that I'm still trying to grapple with is the sense that, like, I feel like there are some things that we're supposed to take literal and some things that we're supposed to take metaphorically. Yeah. Um, you know, for example, like, you know, the, the biggest question is, like, why didn't um, the like the actual Red, after she was, like, replaced, why didn't she ever just, like, you know, find her way back out of there um, or how long that took? And I always, and, and in my head, I assumed that was more of a metaphorical thing where like she couldn't find a way out until it was time for her to rebel or have the uprising. But at the same time, I was thinking to myself that since this was a very grounded sci-fi take, um, I was thinking to myself, well, should it be taken metaphorically here or should it be taken literally? So that's something that I was kind of grappling Mm. back and forth with certain things. Cause there's a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of times where, you know, things happen and because they may not, on a on a character level might not you know make complete sense i'm thinking like maybe this is more of a symbolic a metaphorical understanding at this point and i feel like the film kind of jumped back and forth um between those like i think a great example is when you see the sun and pluto you know walking mm. back and going into the fire and yeah. <clears throat> of course there's been theories about maybe the kids were switched at some point or mm-hmm. but then on the flip side, my, it might have been a more metaphorical thing at that point, or maybe that was actually Red's plan from the beginning. Like, still not one hundred percent sure. So that's something that always kind of comes to my head of whether or not certain parts of the film should be taken literally or should be seen as metaphorical, symbolic. Mm, I, I for me, I think that part like with you talk because I thought about it too when I was watching him. Like, why didn't she come up before? But as you said, maybe it's because it was a certain time, and I'm wondering if it had to do with the location because. From what they were saying, from what um, Red was saying in the beginning when they arrived to the to the house, it seemed mm-hmm. like this was the first time they'd been to the beach, and like this is in like years or things. So maybe that was why. Like maybe she like can it's kind of like a portal, right? So that can only they can only meet or one can only like enter the realms when they're both in the same spot at the same time. Um, and like with you talk and with you mentioning Pluto and. J- or the other son Jason they with them they were like mirroring each other but backwards like when Jason would move back he would move back right and that didn't happen with the father and that didn't happen with any of the other characters right so I'm wondering if it has to do with how they're able to sense things differently because at the end he's the one we're kind of like skipping I'm kind of skipping forward here a minute but it's like the same at the end like how he looks at her at the end like it's clear that he knows that this this his mother 
is the actual red and like she was always red. So I'm wondering if like they're the same how she was connected to Adelaide when they were younger, if his strong connection with Pluto as well allowed him to detect or sense that, yeah, she, this lady is now on the mm. up and up. Like she, she cray cray. Yeah. Uh, just to add something I thought was interesting that I was thinking about as well. It's just the, cause you know, the whole the idea is that, you know, since they're clones, they don't have the full souls. So they have to follow what's happening with their, with the folks who are with the tether, you know, that are living up, <clears throat> up top. And one of the things was interesting with it was that like, you know, we know on a metaphorical level or maybe in a physical level that red gave them some autonomy, but yeah. you know, I also wondered how did the, 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 the rules of the world work because like there were mm. times when, you know, they're completely following exactly what their folks yeah. upstairs are doing. Whereas yep. there are some times when they're just completely 100% autonomous on their own. And, <laughs> you know, sometimes it felt like it was, you know, a convenience of the story. And sometimes it felt like he was following a certain type of rule, but, you know, it kind of like teetered back and forth. Yeah. That to me, that was mm-hmm. probably one of the, I would call it necessary a plot hole because like at the beginning of the film, you know, there's the little um, thing that comes over. He talks about this where, you know, a little message that talks about all the thousands of um, yeah. miles of underground rail, uh, railroads. And like, mm-hmm. it's at that. But when we saw the under the, the wonderland, I was like, that does not look like any subway that I've ever been in. It looks like a hospital or like a sanitarium. Right. Or even like some of the rooms of the classrooms. So I'm like, but it didn't show, like, for instance, okay, like, I'm thinking, you know, like, the Matrix, when they're in the subway, so this is, da, la, la, la. they think this is re- Matrix Reloaded, so the second one, you know, like, there's a scene with the trains, and, like, we, it looks like it's endless, like, it's an endless tunnel, mm. and, like, for me, I was kind of expecting something like that in the film. After reading the message, I'm like, oh, so we're going to get, like, either, like, tunnel scenes or, like, shows of, like, scenes of them walking underground or whatever, walking along these pathways, that would and be I'm cool. like, Wait, get anything like that because it kind of looked like it was one location so i was like all of these literally all the millions of tethers they're all in this one location so that part kind of like as as the same thing to do xavier was wondering like uh so where do they go if like you go on a run like your is your tethered going on a run but is he like just running in one spot kind of thing so that kind of that kind of i was thinking about that too mm-hmm <laughs> That's true. I mean, like, I guess when they, because I guess we're to assume, because it's uh, the real Adelaide that explains it, I think, about, like, the government. I'm assuming it's just the government decided they started to clone people and experiment on people. And then they just decided to just stop, which that for me is just like, so they just stopped and they didn't try to get rid of the clones. That was my, that was in my head. I was just like, so they, they just stopped experimenting and left them down there with rabbits to eat for the rest of their lives. And they just figured that will be okay. But then, so was, how, that's but the then how much of them did they actually make? Because there's like, literally as like, there's right. it, the way how it but seems at the, at the end in shot, you see the whole long line of them mm-hmm. like literally stretching across America. I'm like, that's but like hundreds of thousands. Of- yeah. Oh, sorry, not to interrupt. Uh, um, um, I guess. <laughs> oh, Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Um, no, I'm just saying, I think we're just supposed to assume then like it was bigger than just that location. Like the tunnels that like little blurb in the beginning about there being tunnels, I guess, because them just saying the government is supposed we're supposed to assume that there are multiple plants spread mm. out. And they came in. And that's why, like, it didn't. It doesn't look like some kind of subway system. It looks like, oh, people built classrooms and rooms down here. And I could have sworn there were like doors that led to other places as she was like walking down there and everything. 
But um, where though? Because like, if there are subways, you have to come out of the subway. So like, if they're in the city, I can understand because they come out because all subways are interconnected and there's always like some mm-hmm. unfinished pathway that you can come above ground. But in some place like Santa Cruz, where they were, I'm like, where are these people coming from? Through the sewers? What sewers? They're like beach houses. That bugged me. Like that really did bug me. I'm like, where do people come from? <laughs> And like the ones underwater, like are they like just standing in a line underwater? What about like the Mariana? Like this is how my brain works. I was thinking, but what about if it if it goes across like at, like the greater lake? So like are they like underground underwater, like holding hands? But then does that mean they can't breathe? Like my brain just went on like a whole long tangent on my way home after I saw. I was like, does that mean they can't breathe? Underwater? I told does you, it's thought provoking. I told you, it's thought provoking. Um, I'm sorry, Xavier, you want to say something too? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean uh, everything that you brought up you know very good points and that's why you know for me when i think about the film you know i i ask myself like you know are we supposed to take everything literally as it can 100 mm-hmm. happen or are some of these parts supposed to be quite literally symbolic because mm-hmm. you know again there, there were certain parts where i love the movie but there are definitely certain parts where if it's not symbolic then it feels like a plot hole but if it mm-hmm. is symbolic then it makes more sense because it's yeah. not supposed to be com- a complete literal take but then because of the fact that the film is a, a, a very grounded horror sci-fi it lends mm-hmm. itself it's asking the audience to think and yes. you know when you start to like you know just do little things and think about little stuff there are things that come up that make you be like well does this is does it work within the rules of the universe that's been um, set up. And so that's, that's an interesting thing. I've been going back and forth as I think about the film. That's, right. that's a good point because like going back to like the point Carolyn made with um Pluto and Jason. Yeah. His mm-hmm. name is Jason. Like that just seemed, it seems so off to me the way Pluto died and then the, but the way um, Umbra died because it just made me think like Pluto didn't have a sense of his own self or was he just like a pawn for Red to use? Like how she just like her her plan seemed to be that she was just going to snatch up Jason to lure the real Red back. Yeah. And like that's what like for me. And then like but like you said, like I don't I, I, I'm just a suppo- supposed to assume like that just feels like a plot hole to me because like she lets the one she gave birth to die just for her revenge. I mean. Again, this is me spiraling now, but I agree. my point is I agree because like the stuff that we're just supposed to take as, I mean, for what the information we're given, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah. and it, here's but, something yeah. I I do want to add that I think it's a good thing. Like you know, of course, you know, I was going through all this stuff and we're trying to figure it out and figuring out like you know how mm-hmm. I'm supposed to view it and things like that. What I am 100 happy about is that they allow this black creator, this black director to have the free range to mm-hmm. even do something like this in the first place, because I definitely feel like, you know, because of the success of Get Out, um, you know, Jordan was able to come in here and say like, yo, I want full creative control on this battle. Yep. And I am so happy about that because I am 100% sure if, you know, a studio or, you know, whoever put it together would have been able to kind of grab onto it. They would have tried to rein in some of the things. And mm-hmm. the whole thing about it is I 100% believe in giving the writer, director, giving the creator full control to tell the story in the way that they want to, regardless of, you know, whether or not there might be some things that confuse you or maybe you mm-hmm. don't understand. I would rather see the full creative um, ideas on display versus it getting suppressed 
due to yes. outside um, interference. Absolutely. Because, right. I mean, I think he even, there's an interview, and if I find it, I'll put it in the show notes, but he says, like, he was just getting on a subway train, and he was, like, down there below, and then that's when the thought came to him that, what if there was another me, and what if they all lived underground? What was it, what if there was, like, another me, what if there was another person for everybody that lived underground, and we didn't know about it? And, like, that's just, and he, it doesn't have, like you said, I like that that was the idea that he had, and he was able to bring it to fruition, versus who knows what, you know, a studio might have tried to sway him to do instead of like letting him have the authority to like bring up, bring this whole story to life, how he wanted to see it come to life. And like, you know, he's even saying it even more so with like, he's just like, I don't think I'll cast a white male lead. And that's fine. Like I can, it's nice to be able to go into a place and cast the people who I want to have casted. And I can like center stories around black people. I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's a like that's that's a huge thing. I think mm-hmm. one of the beautiful things that I'm so happy about when it comes to Jordan Peele is that I truly believe, you know, going forward, he's gonna really have as much creative control over what he does as he wants. Because, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully, because you know, the Hollywood isn't always like this, because you can have something, make a lot of money, do great, but it but if it isn't from a white lens or a white perspective, studios will ignore it because you know this this unfortunately that's that's still how hollywood goes but i 100 percent believe at this point that you know jordan can go anywhere because his two films have mm-hmm. done amazing he's gonna say this is the way i want to do it and this is it you take it or leave it and most folks are going to take it and i just love that i'm just i love that that's where we are right now with his artistry mm-hmm. yeah and I think it's and I, and I, I think it's, there's the fact that he, he said he's always going to cast like black people as leads but the way how he, he he frames his stories, you know that there are about black people, right? So it's like he he has a cast of black people. The stories are about black are about black people, but he's always making sure to always gear it towards black people because as you said in the beginning, like the differences between Ghetto and and us would be the way how the I guess you could say the the narrative of the story. So like forget it, we know it was all about race right and how and slavery but for me like from for me out as i just said it's, it's about class but it's like it's about from a black person's perspective right and it's and it's um and it's diasporic right because like i'm not from america i'm, I'm not north american i'm from the caribbean but there's things mm-hmm. that i as a black person have experienced both in north america and in the caribbean that i can relate to right and like there are things like um and i i, I thought I, I thought he he did he laid some really subtle but really uh, well then um hints about black culture and how black mm-hmm. and how black people are perceived by other people because it may not and I think it has to do with race too because like one of the things that stood out to me with um Gabe which is, who's played by Winston Duke is yeah he was allowed to be the goofy um and the goofy black dad telling bad black jokes but the thing that stood to me is the way the plot the plot point about the boat because we all mm-hmm. know in 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 cinema in Hollywood cinema like there used to be the whole stigma about black people being in water and owning boats. And like, he wanted his own yacht and, you know, because yachts are a sign of like um, wealth to a certain degree and everything. But I thought it was hilarious the way, like the different um, films that he used to like get these story these points across because like the scene with, with Gabe in on the lake was like, I'm like, that's straight out of Jaws. Right. Mm. Like, and like, I was like, I was like, I, I had a blast like picking out the different um, story elements from different films. But the, the, you had those stories, and then you had like Zora, who's a runner, and 
she's an athlete and her and her doppel she and her doppel gang were going and get, uh, like like who's the fastest like you got these two little black girls and like they're both running like who's the fastest of these black girls because you know like black women dominate um especially the american teams dominate and jamaican teams dominate mm-hmm. the olympics when it comes to track and field and mm-hmm. then you also have like the scene with the ballet dancer and i remember when i saw the trailer i got super excited because i'm like we're gonna have a young black girl doing ballet in a major in a major film production and like the first mm-hmm. thing i came to my mind was like misty copeland and then there's other like black ballerinas who like who've been struggling in like the dance world because like they didn't become principal dancers but then in us you got like these two because you saw like the the tethered version and then the and it turned out to be adelaide which i mm-hmm. i was actually stunned because i thought it was going to be zora like she one is dancing on a stage and in, in like in these bright lights and then the other one like she's the center of attention and that's when her, her after her dance, that's when they were like, you're our savior. Like, this is who is going to lead us. I was like, I saw a lot of things because, like, you have black women, um, symbolism of black women being, like, the saviors of everyone, right? Mm. So, like, I saw a lot of, like, symbolism in, like, in, like, about race and class in, like, the different story elements as well. You know, that's a great point. And, you know, what I want to add to it is, like, what, what I'm appreciative about us, especially because all the things you brought up, like, you know, black folks can't swim. Then you see my man swimming. You know, black mm-hmm. folks are, you know, ballerines and do that type of stuff. You see a black woman like, you know, both of them, you know, doing these types of things. Like one of the big things that folks don't really pay attention to is, you know, Hollywood is the biggest cultural exporter of biggest exporter of culture in the world. Like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Hollywood puts out about a certain demographic of people is inevitably what almost the entire, everyone. Yep. Yeah, almost Absolutely. the entire world is going to view uh, us in the first place. So if you if you wonder why black folks are seen as thugs, well, that's because of Hollywood. You wonder why Muslims yep. are viewed as terrorists. That's because of Hollywood. Like mm-hmm. it is Hollywood's yep. fault. We have negative portrayals of black and brown folks. One hundred percent. So to have someone like Jordan Peele on this type of level. Like you know, show even in this in this horror movie, showing black folks in in uh in places of talent, in places of uh of wealth, or you know things like that. That's huge. Like you know, mm-hmm. that's something that he is not only making his films, but he's also pushing the idea that black folks aren't just a monolith in what we are and what we can do. And that's just you know that's beautiful within itself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because like the thing about like, and it's, it seems like a trivial thing, but it actually is a lot because like this is something that I'm always saying is like how we are perceived on in film influences how we are per, uh, perceived in real life. I'm not sorry, how we are portrayed on film is how we're perceived in real life, right? Because it it doesn't influence, and it and like even from like the beginning of cinema and like going before like with the area of slavery, there's a, there's so many things that influences how we as black people and people of different cultures see themselves because it was influenced by let's say white people and then Hollywood because like I remember growing up in, I'm from Barbados and like we're an island 166 square miles surrounded by water now ask me if everyone on the island know, ever learned how to swim and, and then the, and the reason I bring this up is because when I saw him on the boat in the water I'm like like he's like Jordan Peele is like telling every person that says that black people shouldn't go into water like Oh, guess what? He not only has a boat, he knows how to swim because my mom doesn't know how to swim, right? Because I mean, she grew up, but in her era, like people would always, the old people would always say the, the sea ain't got no back door, right? And it would always put the fear of like um, the ocean and like swimming into the fear of like black people. I'm like, you these are black people who live on an island and they don't know how to swim. But that came because of slavery, right? Because like the mm-hmm. slave masters would tell the slaves like the, the ocean is dangerous and like the, like their only escape is off the island is like 
by water, right? So like they came on a slave ship and like like the like their home is back across the ocean, but they put the, they literally instilled the fear of of the ocean into slaves, right? And they and it trickled down into like like future generations. Even now, there's like people on like that and that never learned how to swim because of those those same um, stories and those and those same um, those what's the word I'm looking for stigma stigma right and mm-hmm. and like we see we see it still in films today where like where you where you might have a black woman like going to a pool like she's afraid to wet her hair mm-hmm. right and like that's that's a stigma too because like they, they like made black women like you your hair is pressed so you have to look after your hair you can't get it wet by chlorine or whatever and then there was like a whole thing with like they used to throw acid in pools so that black people wouldn't swim or whatever and like mm-hmm. I saw Jordan Peele is like using that as like I I'm, again I could be reading way more into it but that's like one of the things that stuck out to me so like that's one of the things about his films that we uh, that I no, that I it says to me speaks to black people mm-hmm. specifically. No, I think, well, I I think it's awesome. Oh. No, go ahead. That's all um, I said. I think it's awesome. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I think a great thing, literally, is that we now can 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 think too much. We can think too far into it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're starting to get more films and things like that that are seeing us on screen and we get to have these, you know, type of conversations. Like, you know, folks, you know, a lot of times folks are like, oh, man, you know, when Black Panther came out and folks, and everybody mm-hmm. was doing the, the Wakanda sign and, you know, folks are like, oh, man, y'all are doing that too much. You're, you're, you're acting up. It's just a movie. And it's like, have y'all seen how Star Wars fans act on a regular Crazy. basis. Crazy. Oh, just absolutely <laughs> man, But yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for me, I was like, I'm happy to see Black folks having something in particular that they can be just this rabid uh, about mm-hmm. and love yep. and obsess over. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. And if anything, I want to see more of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the thing is about, like, with film, like, one of the things I love about film as a medium, because... Like we talk about film and then as like um, podcasters and like creatives in the film industry and like mm-hmm. as a as film critics and like you are a director and writer is like there's very few films that are not made by black people that we aren't able to do deep dives into. And like as you said, like you mentioned Black Panther, like I myself did like a couple of like reads, um, like articles about different aspects of Black Panther and like, like it was like a phenomenon it becomes a phenomenon in, in itself because it leads to like so many um, writers and journalists like doing thought discussions about these films and these various aspects and it's something that we don't necessarily get in any other medium and I think the only other time that's happened outside of Black culture is with like Crazy Rich Asians right we had um, Asians and Asian Americans talking about what they found for themselves and what inspired them about Crazy Rich Asians. And that's something that hasn't that hasn't happened before. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things like I love conspiracy theories. I'm the kind of person that when it when I, and and like so when I watch these kind of films, like as you said, it allows us to do like the deep dives and like to really feel like we're a part of the process because we're like, oh, this like he's speaking, like they're directing the writer is like speaking directly to me because he knows that I'm gonna get this. Mm. I mean, that's why I said like in the beginning is like, that's one of the things I love about this movie is that it is so thought provoking that it's fun that we can like really go there and have these conversations like we're doing right now, like how we're talking about this film. And it, it brings up all these different points like Carolyn, like the points you made about like the black woman's savior. And like, because I feel like after the last election that's something people like black women will save us i'm like um we're just trying to live um but we we, we have common sense but yeah stop, yeah like don't stop screaming at black women to fuck, save you stop screaming at goddamn black people to save you, Nigga, yes. you not save y'all 
we cannot save you. We Only you faces. can save you. <laughs> but then that's like, but that's an excellent point for this movie because it's just like she takes on the burden of like all the tethered and like leads them and does all this stuff. I'm like, ooh, that sounds exhausting. But revenge will probably fuel you to do that. But still, yeah, you know, like, like revenge is a dish best served cold, as they would say, mm-hmm. and like know. like cold rabbit. Yeah, and then uh, like Lord, Lord knows, I definitely mm-hmm. noticed the fact that you know in the film, you know, I'm mm-hmm. thinking, like, okay, Winston, Winston, he this big dude, he about to do his thing, he about to be fighting bad, right? you know, all these fucking mm-hmm. stuff, and you know, he gets taken out at the top of the film, and, he's like, mm-hmm. and it's like, what are y'all, what, what are you trying to say about you know black men, dog? Like, come on, bro, like don't do this to us. <laughs> but, but I, I kind of love that he did that because it's the whole mm-hmm. antithesis of like the large black man being a thug, right? He turned right. out to be a complete dork and a wimp because, like, he got taken. You said he got taken with one knee, with one hit to his knee. Of course, like you know, a hit Oof. to the knee will like cripple anyone. But yeah. I was like, as I like my whole thing, like legit. Everyone in my cinema was like, "Man, he can die right now." I was like, "Gabe, you on your own." I don't like <laughs> well, take the kids and run. Gabe was making some suspect decisions. I'm like, no, no. I was. Like, I was are you people really black? I was like, you people are black. What are you doing? <laughs> Like how he went back outside with a bass in his voice, like with the bat. I was like, "Sir, go back in the house and lock the door." And then oh, the what key. And then I loved my favorite oh. line from him was like, "That's some white people shit." I just <laughs> with the key, I die. Oh, but no, like um, because I said this on our latest episode when we were slightly like talking about the movie lightly. I did kind of like that Winston Duke wasn't the hero because I like that he yeah. we got to see him be vulnerable. Like he did, he did do a good job of taking out his own tethered and all that, and like fin- actually he took out two tethereds. Um, Who did he take and, out? He took out his own and someone else. Who was the other person? Ew, was, dang it, was dad? it? Yeah, it was the, the other, dad. The, the other tethered dad. So he took he out the two dads, friend. right? Oh, okay. Yeah, he took out both the dads. So like he, he definitely like played a role in everything, and I like because I, I man, I'm gonna have to look up so many articles because here's another article I read <laughs> about the movie that Winston Duke almost didn't get the role because they felt that he could not be perceived as like vulnerable because of mm. how masculine he looks. And then he made the point of just like anybody can be in a threatening situation. Like I'm like, oh, that's true, especially when your other double is just as big as you, and he takes yeah. out your knee with a bat. Like right, and I, and I gotta give him major props because you know you think mm-hmm. about the fact that going from Mbaku to mm-hmm. uh, Gabe and how it's just a clear, complete opposite difference in Absolutely. how these two characters act and portray themselves i mean for me it just speaks to the fact of how well he embodied the um the character that jordan wanted him to mm-hmm. and i think yeah. here's a here's a great example and, and why i bring that why i was so proud of him and why yeah. i really enjoyed it is i remember when uh what's my man's name who plays uh james bond Which daniel one? craig Daniel, daniel craig? craig yeah and so so daniel craig and you know he was he was also the main character in the girl with all the tattoos or that that film and the girl with the dragon and, tattoo yeah the girl with the dragon tattoo and <laughs> throughout that entire film he was all oh i can't fight i'm getting beat up i can't do i'm just a journalist and it's like dude you you're, you're james bond you're james bond mm-hmm. in this film i literally could not let go and I cannot, every time he got beat up, I was like, this don't even feel realistic. Like, it wasn't believable. I it agree. It wasn't believable. No. And, 
And that's why I give him so much credit because going for Mbaku, that's big boy, do his thing, he can fight, he can knock out stuff, and he comes back and does this film. And I completely believe that he was messed up in the leg and he couldn't do all the stuff he needed to. Like, it was a great job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, so let, let's talk about a little bit. Well, we've talked a lot about the different aspects of the film. So I want to know which part of the film freaked you guys out the most? Oof. Um, I think two for me. So... Uh, number one was definitely when uh, Red first talked. I was like, oh, oh no. And <laughs> the yes. second one was when the folks were eating and they would cut back and you see the the, the tether below eating the rabbits, you know, the rabbit. Mm. I was like, oh, oh. So that both those two specifically, it wasn't scary so much as it was just very unsettling for me. Settling, yeah. That, that's like me. That was like me and Hereditary. Hereditary. Like, like, no, that movie stressed me out. When you but heard yeah, the rabbit scream, oh God. Um, <laughs> oh, that was terrifying. Um, for me, Lord, okay. It's definitely when Real Adelaide was describing how she had to do her own C-section. Like she, it's definitely her voice that does like that makes it even more unsettling. But it's it's like she does a great job of describing the hell she lived through for like I guess the last I'ma say 30 years, 40 years. Mm. That I don't know how old I can't tell how old they are. They too they all black. Um <laughs> black <and> black. <laughs> just <laughs> Winston Lapita looks so young still to be having kids that old. Um, but like they were, wait, no stop. Okay, they can't be thirty six though. Like I'm, like I don't want to get into. There, I'm trying to think of the fashion. Them. So like that was in the eighties, right? So like, I'm thinking like because I'm thirty, I'm gonna be thirty six this year. Because I'm thinking of the fashion that they were wearing. Because they were wearing like the sandals. Yeah. She so got be like, like in the eighties. Yeah. She I mean, per- yeah. Personally, to me, when I looked at them, they looked pretty young. They looked like the very young family. Like yeah. I, for, for Gabe and both uh, Adelaide, I did not see them older than maybe like thirty five at most. Right, yeah. but then I look at they kid, they daughter, and I'm like, y'all gotta be forty. No, if your not if you have her at like twenty two, twenty three. But she's a teenager. She's like fifteen. Right, that's what I mean. She had her like twenty two. So like, uh, mm. man, that's a, mm. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, it's like either they had them very young, mm-hmm. or that the the older girl is just like she she just she just grew up real fast. Yeah, she's all. She's all for age. Yeah. Let's just go with that. At the end of the day, life don't crack because they all look beautiful and magnificent. Um, but like that was one of the things that like made me th- really, really, really like. Ooh, that just sounds gruesome. Because like as a woman, all I can think about is like having to deliver your own baby and like the gruesomeness and then, like her voice adds to it. And then I do have another one. The one for me is seeing little a- Adelaide. Uh, little red choke, little Adelaide. Sure. It was that was something, and with with that with that look on her face, mm. it was her face. Mm. Ooh, that child scares me. Madison I don't want Curry to... is ridiculously good. Like her, she's good. But could you imagine? So do you know you know how like when you turn off the lights before you go upstairs? Don't even. Like but like, don't imagine even. if that little girl was there with that smile. No, on her face. I'd be like, Jesus, take me now. I mean, <laughs> uh, I somebody getting thrown out the window or somebody jumping out the window like, like me, me or the girl some, somebody going out because I'm scream and then something gonna have to happen listen she had me stressing out because okay so like for me my two 
scenes, I mentioned at the beginning, like the whole thing where she turned around, like the Chester, that Chester cat grin, creeps <clears throat> me out. Like, whoo, stresses me out. But then the other scene was with um, Zora and Ombre, like when they're like, she's running and they find the car. Yes. Oh, and like Ombre's like around the car and like and Zora kneels down. I'm like, what? Do not kneel down from under the freaking car. <laughs> I was like legit. I was in the cinema. I was like, do not look under that damn car because that. I was like, that chick is gonna pop up somewhere and cut your throat. I'm like, do not Zora. I thought she was gonna kill her. I thought she was gonna kill. Her. I, I thought she was gonna she get was dragged gonna on the car, Chucky style, and I thought she was gonna get dragged on the car, Chucky or Freddy Krueger style, and get taken out. I will say uh, one of the things for me is like because of how well Jordan set up the characters, how endearing they were. Personally, mm-hmm. I never felt like our main characters were gonna die. To to mm-hmm. I I honestly yeah. I would have been more surprised if one of them got killed off. That would have surprised. I thought it was gonna be Gabe. I honestly thought Gabe was gonna bite the bullet. I would have thought Jason. I just would have thought it was a little boy. Mm. Just like somehow but like you make a good point because he does a really good job but i think after i saw a quiet place i never doubted if a movie would kill especially a child if they're a main character because this this is no spoilers but like a quiet place has been out for almost two years uh when they killed that little boy in the beginning i was just like oh so this is real (laughs) (laughs) yes that's the thing like for me like i i've always had this fear of like things hiding under my bed from like the time I was a little, cause like I watched like Freddy, Freddy Krueger at an age I had no business watching Freddy mm. Krueger. And like, I've always had this fear of like things hiding under my bed. So like when she looked under the car, that's when I legit stressed out in the cinema. Cause yeah. I was like, do not. Cause I thought she was going to appear at the top of the car. And I was like, do not. Cause and then she turned around and killed the man. I'm like, she is like, she bloodthirsty. Like she will take you out if you give her the opportunity. I'm like, that man should have minded his business. That's his own I was like, listen, when he got killed, the guy next to me was like, well, he should have gone back inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Ooh. Man, oh, there's some moments that, that really distress me up. Yeah, and the, I did, and the owl, I did the stupid that. owl. Oh, <laughs> I the love owl. how when she goes back and she knocks the heck out that. Everyone owl. in my cinema applauded when she took it out. Everyone yeah. was like, "Yeah, take that, take that owl out." I don't know why, but no one liked that owl. <laughs> it's it, it's it, it's just creepy. I, I I hate birds. I'm afraid of birds in real life, so I I applauded her. <laughs> I hate birds. Um. But what for y'all? What were y'all favorite moments? I know we're like we've been talking for almost an hour, and I don't want to keep you too long, Xavier, um, or take up your whole night. But like, what were so we can like start to wrap up soon? But like, what was one two like any of your favorite moments? I think um, <clears throat> definitely a favorite moment for me was seeing the, uh, of course, that montage at the end where you're going back and forth as you're seeing um, mm-hmm. the tether, seeing Adelaide and Red basically like doing their whole. Um, uh, with dance and stuff, uh, dance and yeah. ballerina mm-hmm. stuff, I thought that was you know really really great, and I enjoyed that completely. And then I think uh, another thing for me is I I especially enjoyed the segment when um, the entire segment when they went to the other family's house and they basically had to kill <laughs> off them on that side because that to me was a little scary but also just kind of hilarious as yeah, well. Everybody was applauding. So, like, yeah, that was yeah that was number two for me. And then of course number three was the monologue at the beginning that mm-hmm. um that red has when they sit everybody down and she talks about <clears throat> being forced to have this family when she didn't want it and that was pretty huge yeah. exactly 
Yeah. Um, for me, one of some of my favorite moments were like you did. You mentioned when they went into the house, and I, the reason I that I when he when he played after police, <laughs> I was like, yo, and he played the whole almost the entire song. I was like, Jordan Peele. That's how you got this black man walking up into these white people house with a bat and talking about F the police. So I was wondering if the husband was a police officer. And it was like, is could he be? Because remember in the beginning, the scene on the beach, he's wearing a shirt that says fragile. I'm like, look at this fragile white man in his glass house. Literally, his glass house, because remember the house has like a like stained glass windows. I'm like, look at this, this black man rolling up in these white people house with F the police plane. I'm like, political statement, yes. But then my other favorite moment was when... Um, Adelie uh, was standing at the window and there's a reflection and it's a, such a small moment but the, this is when for me I said uh, Lupita Nyong'o wins, wins an award, all the awards for this moment is that you can see the, the struggle in herself it was like she could feel um, red coming for her right mm-hmm. like because she does like this thing this weird thing with her body because I almost expected her face to change in that moment um that's what like you know because you know red speaks with her eyes like super wide open and her face looks like taut and everything and i honestly thought that that's what lupita's face was gonna look like when she turned around i was braced for it because i the way her body moves and like you can hear her voice start to change and crack and like you can hear the fear enter into her body but her voice and i was like look at lupita lupita's translating everything about her story in this one shot and the only thing we can see is a reflection, but it's distorted, right? So, which is like the character itself, the, the character is a reflection of Adelaide, but it's a distorted reflection. I'm like, the story and acting all in one shot. Wow. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, for me, I got two also is, the, it was kind of, one's a funny one, one's more of like the scary parts. The funny one is like when the daughter gets into the driver's seat uh-huh. and they are arguing like a family, like like an actual family is arguing. And she's like, I'm going to drive your handcuff. It's not safe. I'm like, I don't like me and my sister were there in the theater. And we're just like, if her little ass don't get out that seat, your mom. And like, I'm like, your mama could die. Get out the seat. Um, and it's just like, she's just arguing. Like you have handcuffs on dad's leg is broken. I should drive. I'm like, you don't, it just it felt like they was like a real family and then the dad was just like i told her not to do it i'm like but you the daddy tell her to move (laughs) i enjoyed that like exchange again jordan really did a good job and the actors did a really good job of like one seeming like like pulling off being a family and two like sprinkling in like those moments like those throughout the movie um and then the other one is the climax of the scene where they're like (laughs) I'm, I need this gift, but it's when Ad, the real Adelaide, they're in the basement and everything, they're in the classroom, and she looks at her and then she runs away. Like, she just burns. Oh. <laughs> and I'm just, oh no. I'm like, just leave the boy. Forget this. No, no don't go after her. But then it leads into, like, that dance fighting, like, scene. Like, and you see their personality switch. It's like, Red takes back on her tethered uh, persona, and then Adelaide is this calm and composed ballerina. And you see her yeah. like, it, they switch back to like their original roles of like what they would have been at this age and their true colors come out. And then also, you know, like when it gets to the point where like she, she kills her, like I was like, oh, dang. But also it's, it's mainly because like the dance and like seeing their characteristics shift and the music. I just, I love that. I need that song. 
Yeah, what song was playing? It was the I Got Five on it, but an instrumental version. An instrumental version, right? And also, yeah. like, I didn't notice, like, the beginning of the film, apparently the, the, the opening theme song was Do Re Mi Fa Sol La Di Do, but, like, this strange operatic distorted version, because my sister's the one who told me. I'm like, it oh, is? Right. No, like, yeah. that because, was that because she was whistling um, Itsy Bitsy Spider? Is that the same? No, that's not it. No, it's the basic spider. It's like is is that place like like that's the like like they changed that my whole thing of that song. Like I'm not thinking that song the same way. But my sister told me like the song that plays the opening song is Do a Dare. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you listen to the chorus, I'm like, oh hey, look at how Jordan Peele gonna take all my all our childhood nursery rhyme songs and make them into nightmarish versions. Hmm, that's interesting. I just want the soundtrack. Whenever they're ready to drop that, I need it. <laughs> good for you I don't want it <laughs> Oh, come on you don't want to listen to a spooky hip hop song no, no. <laughs> uh, I don't know how we still friends I'm so I love horror so much <laughs> I, don't know, I love horror but those I don't need a soundtrack of listening to those songs I like to stress like, to, what, to stress me out give my own self nightmares no <laughs> No, that's oh, like well, after that's her. Not- that's like that's like with hereditary. Like I'm, I still mm-hmm. hear the darn metronome tick tocking in my head, and no one apparently, and like very few people apparently even heard that whole thing. I'm like the heart. Can you not hear the metronome? So haunts me. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, let's wrap up with if you guys have any other final thoughts on the film or like anything you want to say before we close up. I, uh... you can go first. Yeah. Yeah, I think yep. the biggest thing, and I think the most important thing I had, and I brought up a couple of times before, is, you know, I think, I hope that with what Jordan Peele is doing, that mm-hmm. we're going to get to see more black and brown creators being able to do horror, being able to do genre, but being able to do it in a way that they actually feel like they have control, creative control over what they're doing. And it's not just a black or brown face being forced into a narrow ideal of what they can make or what a studio wants. Like I want Mm -hmm. to see more of us being able to make films within this genre, within horror unfettered. And I think that's the thing that I hope I'm going to see more of as, you know, things push forward. And I'm just happy that, you know, Jordan hopefully is setting a precedent that allows this to happen more often. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, um, for me, it's the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, 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 uh, it's I want to see not only films geared towards black people for black people, but I, I, I am see, like, what I want to see is more people being open to, to receiving the messages and the stories, right? Because there are people, there always be like naysayers, right? But then there always, but there's the whole thing of like being open-minded and seeing different things from a different perspective, right? And to see like horror can be many different things because there's some people that believe that horror can't have comedy. I'm like, yes, it can. Um, and this is proof of it. And like, I want to see this go out through a different genres too. I want to see like, um, like martial arts films and comedies and rom-coms about these characters and about with characters like these and um the thing that I just came my I don't know why Cowboy Bebop oh wait yeah because of Jet Black but um <clears throat> I want I just want 
us to get more opportunities to see and have films like this to have more of these kind of discussions because it's 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 important, right? Because I mean, this is something that we've never had a chance to do before. And like as ever with your film Horror Noir, which is literal a literal conversation about black horror, and it's the first documentary of its kind, like. I want more films like these. I want more documentaries like yours where we discuss about black history and different genres of film, right? And mm-hmm. um, I just look forward to more of these kind of discussions. That's awesome. And for me, I would say I like the I feel like this, again, kind of going off of what y'all said, Jordan Peele and his work gives me hope for like what's to come. Like, I want to see more of this. I don't want this momentum to stop. But I also like that I was talking about this with my friend. I feel like Jordan has the space to really create his own genre of horror. I know people have been calling like his stuff like as Pelian horror. Yeah. But it's like, I, I, I think it's just so unique. It's like we're seeing the birth of a new form of storytelling. And I don't know if it's like a birth or it's more of just like how Xavier's mentioned, like he has this platform and he's being able to come into a room and say, this is how he wants to do it. And this is how it's going to be done. And he has, he's has that ability to do it. And I like that. And I'm like, that just means like, it gives me hope of what's to come. If more black um, creators can have that platform can have that space to bring their stories to life the way they want them to come to life instead of feeling like they have to adjust it to the way that Hollywood wants it to be. So I feel like this just gives me hope to see more of it down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with that, Xavier, would you mind telling the people where they can find you? Hey, so anybody who wants to, uh, you know, check me out, keep up with me, keep up with my work, keep up with Hard Noir, you can find me on Twitter at XLNB. You can also find me on uh, Instagram at XLNB Stories. And then if you want to um, keep up with, you know, Hard Noir and like the document what we're doing that, literally you can just look at Hard Noir on Facebook or Horror Noir Film on Twitter or Instagram. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And yes, I co-signed following him. I followed you like a few years ago and I just enjoy your, your threads from time to time. I appreciate <laughs> I it. Yeah. Um, and then you guys can find me on Twitter at LA underscore N-E-Y underscore S-H-A. And you can find me on Twitter at C-A-R-R-I-E-C-N-H-1-2. So that's Carrie C-N-H-12 on Twitter and Instagram, even though I'm hardly ever on there. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so and you can find us. Um, you can find the podcast on Twitter as well at, at sh. Wait, what is it again? Oh, wait, at, at shwh <laughs> underscore pod. <laughs> yes, that is correct. At shwh underscore pod. Yes. Um, and with, and with that, thank you again, Xavier, for coming on. I hope you guys have enjoyed this talk. And until then, watch yourselves. Bye. <laughs> All right, catch Bye. you. Later.